0: Welcome back to Friends and Neighbors, the Wagner Brothers podcast in which we endeavor towards depth and simplicity despite an often shallow and complex world. I'm Benjamin Wagner, and today, part one of an essential conversation with rock journalist, Brian Ives. I wrote my first song in 1987. I was 16 years old. It was called Alone Again A and featured the melodramatically redundant opening line, I'm sitting here, standing in the pouring rain. Hmm, rough start. It took me until my third album, Crash Site in 2001, to build a collection of songs that really sounded like songs, a record that sounded like a record. I was 30 by then, and had been told by at least one major recording label that it just wasn't happening for me. You don't shake your ass like Ricky Martin or Shakira, the label chief told me. I wouldn't know what to do with you. Maybe I should have stopped then. It was apparent I wasn't gonna be Springsteen or Petty or even Pete Yorn or David Gray. I was gonna have to find another way, chart another course, which for me was to just keep doing it, one song after another one show at a time. And in retrospect, that's when my music career really began to get good. There's a pretty solid collection of songs between Crash Site and last year's What's Left Behind, standouts like Dear Elizabeth, Back from Waterloo and California. And so, as I anticipated celebrating 50 and began recording what will be my 10th original studio album in Muscle Shoals last summer, I decided to put a strong chapter mark on the time period Ergo, this brand new collection of remixed, remastered, repackaged, and reissued greatest hits. Essential 2001, 2021. When it came time to put these songs in context, there was really only one person to turn to, someone with whom I've been discussing music for over 20 years. Brian Ives is a rock journalism lifer who has put in nearly 30 years at MTV, VH1, Loudwire, SiriusXM, and Radio.com. He currently runs digital content operations for Beasley Radio's 40 plus stations and hosts a brand new podcast called How You Play Your Hand, about musicians and resilience. Brian, whose career we'll cover in an early 2022 episode, is an epic music fan the kind of guy who listens to the entire Miles Davis catalog, studio albums, live albums, compilations, outtakes, b-sides in release order over days and days. This is a guy who, along with his rock photographer wife, Maria is out at shows nearly every night because music. Above all, Brian's a terrific friend, concert going partner and free swag sharer. Perhaps no one's given me more Neil Diamond Ephemera than Brian. Moreover, he's been one of very, very few people, friends, or colleagues with whom I can share open and cynicism-free discussion on all things music. And he knows my catalog because, God bless him, he showed up at my shows for over 20 years. And so to celebrate the release of Essential 2001-2021, available today everywhere you download and stream music, Here's part one of a two-part discussion with my pal, Brian Ives.
1: Let shine. Let shine. Shine. I was thinking about you last night because um, I was watching the CMAs and Luke Combs, who So, you know, he's not, like, one of my favorite guys, but I have to recognize his talent as a singer and songwriter. Mm -hmm. And so last night, he played a a brand new, like, brand new meaning, like, no one had heard it yet. And then he dropped the single right after he performed it. And it was called Doing It. And it was basically (laughs) like, you know, what would you be doing if you weren't doing this?
0: Yeah, it's just part of who I am and whether I'm paid for it, it's what I do. I could not have imagined 20 years ago where I would be right now let alone that I'd still be making records. It turned out kind of better. The music business is really hard. And I didn't know that at 20, right? Like I just saw this, what was on stage, right? I saw what was in front of me on a screen. Even when I was working with you, I was still young. And you know, like you just didn't know what work looked like and you didn't know, you just didn't know how many hours it took to be great, you know? my mom was learning guitar when I was in her womb, like literally learning acoustic guitar, right? So, you know, if we are energy and frequency moves through our cells, which it does really readily, you know, Mm -hmm. um, there's a strong argument that the sound of an acoustic guitar or the frequency of the six strings and so forth, those chords, is just in my DNA, right? Then yeah. I'm born to like Carole King and James Taylor and the the end of the Beatles and the beginning of John and Wings and stuff, right? Like so some amazing, but like Laurel Canyon. Right, like, right. So then there's this idea of it's so soothing to me. And I think so making music is soothing. Like it's a place like surfing is for people, right? Or yeah, God, like where I'm in it so far that the whole world goes away and I can feel like i'm being productive and i'm making good use of and this is the other thing and then how we make use of our pain right it's a little surprising to have a bunch of songs about, about divorce but then at the same time it's like well there's only a handful of really painful things that have happened and those are still being surprisingly worked out you know
1: i i always think of um Bruce Springsteen's acceptance speech when he got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he thanked his father because, right. you know, first he thanked his mom, who was always supportive, yep. famously bought him that guitar, you know, all that stuff. And then he's like, I, and I got to thank my father. goes, without him, what would I conceivably have written about? Uh-huh. And I wonder, too, and I was thinking about that when I was listening to your music, like when your life is generally good, as I would presume it is now. I mean, you and your wife appear to have a great relationship. You know, your kids are obviously so important Mm. and near and dear to you. Like, you have to write about other things.
0: I mean, in some ways, Brian, I'm in like a harder place than ever because I'm trying to slow down enough to feel whatever the fuck just happened in the last 30 years. Do you know what I mean? No, I understand that. At the same time, I am enormously aware of how lucky I am to be able to pause to basically try and make myself healthier. There's still friction. There's still tension. There's still places where there's a gap and that where, I, where I know I have more growing to do. I just kind of woke up here a couple of months ago. I mean, I can't emphasize that enough. I mean, I've only lived in this house since April of last year. And before that, I was basically a, in a screen on Facebook all the time. Do you know what I mean? Working. So yeah. I wasn't really here. And then when I left Facebook, like I just, it's like I got out, it's like I got off 95 and got onto like, a side road that was smaller yeah. and quieter. I mean, I went from living in New York City since I was 25 to looking out the window at the, the leaves changing. So it's just such a contrast and such a like wake up. It's what it yeah. is, it's A wake up. And you're like, what the? And I meant to wake up. I meant to step off. We did it on purpose, but that doesn't yeah. minimize how shocking it is sometimes. And you're like, oh my God, how did I get here? just wanted to kind of plant the flag and be like okay this is what i did so that i could be like oh, now this is what i'm doing also you know any excuse to remaster because dear elizabeth was never mastered <laughs> you know what i mean right but it really just goes back to i think loving those kinds of collections myself for the odds and sods and the outtakes
1: cover a song without really knowing too much about like the artist and the context sure. and stuff but you having worked at Rolling Stone even before MTV like we were all inundated with like who Evan Dando is what the Lemonheads are and like he's sort of like this slacky guy who everyone's fascinated with his personality and blah blah, blah. I'm like he's the opposite of you he seemed to have no work <laughs> ethic um, he was a total slacker and like you were a very disciplined guy like That's you know funny. In whatever era of your life you're in you know it's like you are recording songs working for a marathon like depending on when when it was like working yeah. on a documentary like the you know more recently being a parent but like you've always had so much going on and it's like i almost felt like evan dander doesn't even deserve you covering him oh, although it is a good song yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
0: my primary criteria was that i that it's a catchy song but i like that song because I feel like the real lesson for me at this point in my life, and I've been learning, you know, you learn lessons over and over. Just the reminder that, like, what I thought mattered didn't matter. Into your arms is just such a reminder that, like, it is to me that elemental of, like, you know, what really matters friendship, relationship, love, you know, communication, like sharing. When I was a kid and I started wanting to make rock and roll, it had nothing to do with any of the things that it has to do with now. It was just a dream. It was just like I watched too much MTV and I played once and people screamed. And I was like, I should do that more. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I'm being reductive and selling myself short. But it became, I mean, it became a lifeline, right? And so that, that's why I think I keep doing it. But I always feel like I have to kind of explain myself. And I still do, I, even to myself. Like, why do, you, why do you do this? But then I hear something and I'm like, well, because you just made that. The making is so gratifying.
1: If you were a painter, at some point you start spending a lot of money on easels and paints and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, are you going to sell it and make that money back? You're probably not. So I just view your music as the same thing, except that someone in Portugal put or wherever put your song on a playlist on the other side of the world. Yeah. And now lots of people have heard it.
0: Yeah. It's yeah.
1: unlikely that any other art form. I mean, I guess you could post photos and they could be shared and all that kind of stuff. That's a good point. But It feels easier with music, like a Spotify playlist is just like, I heard this somehow and now I like it and I'm going to share it and people listen to it because it's my playlist. And the other thing is like some musical director is going to come upon one of your songs and like use it in a movie or something.
0: Well, maybe. I mean, it's worth noting I have never done a good job of that. I don't know. It's part of the journey, but it really all goes to like eponymous in a lot of ways, you know.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, and hey, I bought that because of the Horns version of Finest Works Song 2, by the way.
0: Uh, yeah. I love that you know that reference, bro. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, I can only think of one person on earth who would know what we're talking about. Whitney Matheson. Otherwise, forget it. That is so, such random ephemera. Jukebox plays that song again
1: one about the bitter end, the one where I remember when. Back from Waterloo is definitely, like, that's a song that has stuck with me a lot. Just the idea of, like, you're going back to somewhere and, like, you're sort of being reminded about what you didn't like about it, but you went, you know, and then the imagery of, like, the jukebox plays that song again, the one about the bitter end, and it's just, like, it's different for me because I live in the town I grew up in, yeah. but I could imagine coming back here if I didn't live here and then being like, I don't really need to be here.
0: It's funny. Like I was carrying that lyric around forever, which is weird. I can't say that about me. I mean, the jukebox plays that song again. That is not rocket science. But for some reason, it just, it was in my notebook. I don't know why, but it just the, the second half kind of happened one day, right? The the one about the bitter end. And once you have that, you're like, oh, I hear bitter end. And I just think, well, that's a relationship and the relationship didn't go well. And boom, the story yeah. starts on spool. And I was definitely thinking about a bar I've been in in Des Moines aesthetically. Like, but it's the bar we've all been in, right? Like there's neon everywhere and it doesn't smell right. And there's nothing sexy about it. It's not a hip place. But most stories have a beginning, middle and end many songs have three verses, right? Well, that song has two verses and it basically has a beginning and an end, but there's no middle. You don't know what happened, right? Mm. There's no actual explanation of what drove the bitter end. There's just some like ideation around it, right? Like the the dewy-eyed saboteur, (laughs) right? Like that's obviously somebody else who intervenes, right? That's I think what some of these traumas are like. And acknowledging that we all have traumas and I don't mean to overstate it, but like it was a pretty it was a pretty tumultuous divorce. Like there was a lot of shouting, a lot of wall shaking and then boom, we're a thousand miles away from my dad. So like, and for the rest of my and life. There's was- the economic
1: part of that too. Like a lot right. of people don't get exactly a divorce because right. they can't afford to live separately.
0: Well, exactly right. And I don't think my mom had much, but she had enough to get the fuck out, which is its own interesting story. But when we got to Pennsylvania, Dude, we would go to the, you know, the equivalent of the TJ Maxx and she'd get a pair of jeans for both of us to share. And I remember Mm. I shared Nikes with her because we both wore the same size. And she's like, look, if you want them to be real Nikes, we're going to have to both wear them because we both need sneakers. Like, I'm not trying to be melodramatic. I'm just saying, like, no,
1: no. I mean, that's, that's the story.
0: I know people have it worse, but then I, if I say that out loud to you, I feel less weird about it still being present in my life. You know what I mean? And I don't mean I, Agonize it over every second of every day, but it's just like, you know, it's just a. It's fucking, part of you. It's a part that just doesn't fit right. You know, it just right. doesn't. It just won't. You know, I say to Abby, like, she was raised with a mom and a dad and two sisters, and they've lived under the same roof their whole lives together. And <laughs> my house blew up, and we got blown across the country, and nothing was ever the same. And then a couple. Years later, I got my jaw broken by the captain of the football team, right? So suddenly you begin to feel this trend of like, wait, the world is not consistent and reliable. It is wholly hostile and uncertain. And I think I braced for that mindset for 30 years, 40 years. waterloo's where my parents are from but i also love that like waterloo's where this huge battle happened right with napoleon right and it's where he lost right you couldn't ask for a better name of a town right i mean it's like bill clinton needed to be from hope my parents needed to be from waterloo
1: the more you talk about it too i mean i think of some of my favorite like sort of solo singer-songwriters like bruce of course tom petty john mellencamp like, I'm sure Mellencamp is probably still working out shit from his dad, you know what I mean?
0: When I was in high school, I was in this play Pippin, and you may have seen it on Broadway. The long story short is this young man graduates with honors, and he's the king's son, and he doesn't know what he wants to do with his life, and he does all these things. He's like a priest and a warrior and a and a farmer, and uh, ultimately is like, falls in love with this lady who has a kid, and adopts the kid, and they get married, and he kind of realizes, oh. I was pursuing the wrong thing, right? Like I was trying to do this this external thing and trying to get my gratification and my applause and my adulation and my sense of who I am from all these outside forces that have very little to do with what really matters. And mm. you know, lucky all the time is a bit of hyperbole, but like, you know, when you're in a committed relationship and you've got like, you know, <laughs> when you build something like you and Maria built and and Abby and I built like I don't know like it's a pretty lucky all the time feeling it, and it can be right it's particularly if you're able to appreciate it so i mean i think the arc is like, yeah. the arc is like oh wow i think right if the point is some some kind of evolution or adaptation or improvement over time and generations like maybe we're just a, a notch in the right direction and my parents were in a notch in the right direction from theirs and and so on and so on and it just so happens that songs are where i figured that out <laughs>
1: I think you're probably more than a notch. You're probably quite a few notches, I would think. But yeah, I mean, like your songs, you know, it's like that Luke Holmes song doing it, you know, like you'd be doing it regardless of who is in and is not listening, but it is how you work your stuff out
0: for sure. 100%. And it's like chicken and egg. I have a huge Jones to play. I mean, I played a couple of months ago now, maybe six weeks ago now, but like it is also a real tactile, visceral emotional yeah. experience to make it goes back to frequency right like when you have four or five guys playing an e minor that is not the same as what do the songs mean and what do the lyrics mean they're just like the joy of making a racket with these guys i mean tony Masselli and i've been playing together for 20 a years a long time you know so chris abad is like 15 so you know that ends wow. up being its own sort of special byproduct that it's its own self-soothing and its own i don't know healing and, and and you know i think bruce would say the same thing i think god bless him he's he i wish i had half the medicine he's had right for all those shows i mean just oh yeah uh, and you know to, to have the kind of collaboration he has with like had um with clarence you know that kind of the healing that must have come in that kind of friendship right yeah and yeah i've been reading a lot about if you haven't gathered trauma and what we do with it and there's a line of thinking in psychology today that says that, that telling the stories over and over isn't actually that valuable, but having, you know, positive, productive, healthy relationships is really the main thing you can do to heal, which just seems very logical, right? But at the yeah. same time, it's not really how we generally manage. We just, we either medicate or we talk. We do talk therapies.
1: The joy of that. I could see that if it's your source of income, it could become a grind because you're depending on it to make something happen. Right. And most of, you know, 99 times out of 100, it won't for most people. Right. But, like, there still is that joy in it. And I think in some ways that gives you more power that you don't rely on this. You have no desperation in your music. You know, Mm -hmm. like, you... Regardless of what your next record sounds like, you will be paying your mortgage. You will be you know living life with your family you know whereas like somebody who doesn't have that there's a lot on the line and i think you yeah. can take the joy out of it
0: well there's it no can give like, it
1: an adrenaline burst but it could also take the joy out of it yeah. if that plateau doesn't get reached in a certain amount of time
0: for me it's obviously so much like an exploration of what's happening unconsciously because i think that's yeah. what art is right and And you just kind of uncork and in my older age and with lots of practice, I've gotten pretty good at being able to sort of go, okay, we're going to do this thing now and it happens. And I put some gobbledygook down and I get like a hundred pieces of gobbledygook and 20 of them become, you know, a, a frame that I can shape into something. And then you just keep dialing it in. And then suddenly you're like, oh, I think I know what was happening here. But then years later, you're like, oh, no, you didn't, you know? And it's this thing that... Or or it changes, right? Or you hear something. I I heard something in Dear Elizabeth after the remastering that I'd never heard before. And I was like, wow, you know, like there's a lot of mystery and magic. There's a lot of unknowns happening in the process of like these sounds going from a speaker or an instrument into our ears and, and our whole body. I mean, nothing moves you like music. Friends and Neighbors is a Wagner Brothers production. Download the podcast on Apple, stream it on Spotify, watch it on Facebook or YouTube, and subscribe to our newsletter at friendsandneighborshow.com. And if you're moved or inspired by what you're hearing here, please share it with your friends and neighbors. Until next week, it's a good feeling to know we're lifelong friends.